what I love about this character too is I I still don't know what my motivations are, and and I think that you can make all the leaps and assumptions that you want, and I think that they do that intentionally so that the fans can have you know things to guess at. Uh, but yeah, she's she's pretty uh, mischievous for sure, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How much Star Wars can you handle? I know you're listening to a Star Wars podcast, so I have to imagine you have a pretty high tolerance for Star Wars content. But how high is it? Because we have a lot of Star Wars content for you on this week's episode of the Dagobah Dispatch. Not only are we going to break down the latest episode of The Mandalorian, including all those huge surprising cameos over on Plaza 15, but we are going to be joined by not one, but two Mandalorian cast members. We've got Katie O'Brien, who plays duplicitous Imperial turned New Republic amnesty rabble rouser, Aliyah Kane. And because one Katie is just not quite enough, we also have our friend Katie Sackoff joining us to compare Bo-Katan and Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. Who would win in a fight? She'll tell us. But that is not all. We also have an exclusive clip from the audiobook version of Lydia Kang's new High Republic novel, Cataclysm. It's all happening just for you and only you right here on the Dagobah Dispatch. I am Dalton Ross here with Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan, who already, I believe, has put her husband to work constructing a space bocce ball court. Isn't that right, Lauren? <laughs> yes, yes. You know. Well, I mean, I just did get two uh, two new lightsabers last night, so we keep adding to the collection. So I'm going to get him to uh, add more. You know, once he sees this episode, I'm going to make him do that as well. How many lightsabers do you have in your house? Uh, I think we're at seven now. I got Ahsoka's lightsabers, so counting those as two. So now I have seven. Yes. Yeah. So that's about what I have actually. But like that's five of, I mean, they're all plastic ones. Um, though the Ahsoka ones, they're not like the super fancy dance. They're like, it was kind of like medium level fancy, but I was playing with them last night and I was like, this is good. Like they vibrate and like, you know, I, I was, we were having some lightsaber battles in the kitchen last night and that, those were fun. So those look so cool. I really mm -hmm. got to step up my lightsaber game. I don't know <laughs> any lightsabers, but I did, I did just celebrate a birthday and you guys know what I bought yeah. myself for my birthday. Tell what us. did you buy? I bought myself uh, Aragorn's sword from Lord of the Rings. Oh, and a that's good. Reforged from the shards of Narsil. <laughs> now I'm trying to find a place to hang it on my wall. That thing's heavy. It's like solid steel. <laughs> I had to use two hands to, to wield it. So now I'm like, all right, I got to just go full in and, and get some lightsabers to and just create a whole wall. That's going to be the first thing you see when the you walk in my wall. apartment. Yeah. yeah. Why have I not seen this on your Instagram yet, Devin? Well, I was going to post a fun photo of it and be like, it's my 30th birthday. I bought a sword, but then I got sick and then I was like, whatever. So the, this is exclusive, but check oh, my wow. socials for, <laughs> for later to, to, to see the Once see you're the feeling better, I want to see the yeah. photo. Uh, well, uh, it wasn't the, uh, the sword that knighted Grogu in this episode, but we'll get into that, uh, <laughs> in, in just a minute. Um, before we get into the latest Mandalorian episode, before we get to all our interviews and, and audio book excerpts of Star Wars stuff. Uh, big news is that Star Wars Celebration is happening this weekend in London. I don't know why they're staging it on Easter weekend, but there you have it. And um, there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of exciting news coming out. It's, we don't know what it is, but, you know, 
Devin and I have been chatting and we assume there's going to be some Star Wars movie news coming out of this. We've heard some rumblings of developments in that uh, area. We'm sure we're sure there's going to be some some trailers that are going to be coming our way for some of these Star Wars TV shows en route. There's going to be tons of talent there that we are going to be speaking with. We will be at, at Star Wars Celebration. We'll have lots of interviews for you coming out of that. So definitely stay tuned to this pod as you'll get to hear from all the big hitters in the, the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, Devin, are you uh, excited for, are you going to be getting up at a uh, 3 a.m. Uh, LA time uh, when the, when the big panel is starting? I will not be getting up at 3 a.m. LA time, but I will be getting up early in the morning to read all about the news. Um, I'm super excited for this. Like you, like you said, the big panel, like the big Lucasfilm panel is going to be on Friday. Um, and I'm excited to see what kind of news we get. You know, we have a lot of TV shows in, in the works that I wouldn't be surprised if we got more updates on. We got Ahsoka coming up, The Acolyte, um, Skeleton Crew. You know, there's a lot of things that we already know are happening, but I'm willing to bet that we're going to get some fun announcements, specifically, like you said, on the the film side of things. You know, we haven't heard a lot about you know what what's been happening in the the theatrical side of of Star Wars. So I I would not be surprised if we finally get some news about you know Star Wars coming to the big screen once more. It's funny. How do they differentiate? Like what makes a big screen story now as opposed to a small screen story? Why was the Acolyte not a big screen story? You know, why is Skeleton Crew not a big screen story? And um, how they choose that? Like why was Obi-Wan not a big screen story? Obviously that's because they want to pump up Disney Plus. But, you know, as they now start to get back, we're assuming back into the film game. What's the difference uh, there? Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see find out. Uh, all right, let's let's get in. We got a lot to get to, so let let's get to it and uh, talk about Mandalorian episode three hundred six. This is chapter twenty two, Guns for Hire, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, as a matter of fact, and written as usual by John Favreau. Um, it's basically an investigation episode, right? Like it's basically like we're trying to uncover why these droids are going rogue on Plazer fifteen. And uh, I don't know, Devin, you usually like a little detective investigation story if it's done well. What'd you think of this? This is a wild episode. This is not what I expected to be watching when I fired up Disney Plus late last night. Um, I kind of loved it. It's sort of like Mulder and Scully vibes. It's very like law and order, pl- uh, you know, droid investigation. It's it's a very, very ridiculous episode, but I, I had a lot of fun with, with Bo-Katan and, and Din as sort of this Mulder and, Mulder and Scully investigation crew. Um, they go to this planet, Fazir 15, to try to track down some of um, Bo-Katan's former Mandalorian cohorts who have now become mercenaries. Um, mercenaries who I'm wondering, you know, had a hand in the extraction of Moff Gideon. Uh, we get this sort of funky intro where they, um, you know, are hired, uh, by, um, a Mon Calamari princess to, or a queen to rescue her son who's run off with in this sort of Romeo and Juliet love story that's kind of absurd. Um, but yeah, they land on Plazier 15 and they meet the rulers of this planet. And I was not expecting to see Jack Black and Lizzo, uh, you know, hanging out in the Star Wars galaxy, but I'm not mad about it. They're, they play this sort of ridiculously in love, you know, plutocracy group of two people. And it, it is just a, it, it is a bizarre, bizarre episode. And, um, but I kind of had fun with it. This felt like the goofiest side of Star Wars. And I know a lot of people are like, Oh, this is like, why did they do this? Let's get back to the serious stuff. And I'm like, 
this is fun. This felt like to me like an early Clone Wars episode where they were just like, here's Anakin and Obi-Wan and they're on this weird planet um, where they meet these weird people and they have to go investigate some rogue droids. Like this felt very Clone Wars to me in kind of a good way. And, and look, Jack Black and Lizzo were having a great time and I'm not mad about it. Not only early Clone Wars, uh, Lauren, it feels like current Bad Batch, right? Like you could see this as a Bad Batch episode yeah. in the new season. They, they had a few, they had a, definitely had a bunch of those they sort had a of couple. just there was go the on one, a mission here. Yeah, they, yeah. Were, they had the one on um, Pabu, which was just, you know, recently was kind of like a, 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 a like an Oceanside community. But I was just thinking there was that Clone Wars episode where like Padme needed like Jogan fruit and Anakin spent the like, you know, it was just like such a strange episode where like Anakin was trying to make his wife happy by getting the Jogan fruit. And I was just like, it's like, oh, this must to be what their everyday marriage was kind of like. But I did, this was pretty silly, but I did, you know, I, I, I like when Star Wars can be silly with each other. Although, as much as I dislike the battle droids, you know, I mean, they made an appearance here. But also, we got to see Christopher Lloyd in Star Wars. So I enjoyed that. Then my husband watched it this morning and he's like, isn't that man like 85 years old? And I'm like, he's still acting, man. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny how Devin like compared it to sort of Mulder and Scully and sort of in, like for me, it almost felt a little and this is not a criticism, by the way, but it felt a little Scooby-Doo. Like Commissioner <laughs> yeah. Hellgate would have gotten would have gotten away with it. It weren't for those meddling kids. Right. There's always in Scooby-Doo. They check with the one guy and then mm-hmm. he comes back and ends up in is that dude who's like doing all this, this stuff. So it definitely felt very Scooby-Doo-esque, this whole thing. And and I like seeing Christopher Lloyd a lot. We had heard rumors that he was had filming, been filming this. We hadn't heard anything about Lizzo and Jack Black. I don't know how they keep this stuff a secret. I see um, I managed not to hear the a Christopher Lloyd thing where I forgot it because when he popped up, I was like, Christopher Lloyd, you know? But I had seen I I was had looked at Twitter right before it and I saw someone just say Lizzo and Jack Black and I was just like oh that must be two of the people like just they, like just randomly that was the only part of their tweet and I was like I guess that would be a celebrity cameo so when they popped up I was like oh okay yeah but I mean Lizzo and uh, Grogu absolute a, del- a delightful pairing together so. Lizzo looked like she was having a lot of fun. And Katie Sackhoff, I have to admit, looked like she was trying not to burst out laughing in certain parts of this. So it seemed like they were having fun on set. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily buy Lizzo and Jack Black as, no. a, couple, as a couple. I'm like, I'm like I'd like I, to see the history of this romance. Like, yeah, how did this that, come about? I'm not sure I buy it, but like, they were good and they yeah. were fun, at least individually. And I actually kind of like, Devin, that they showed someone in the amnesty program that actually did seem to be doing yeah. right. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, we we're gonna have you spoke with Katie O'Brien. We're gonna talk with her about her character who clearly is not on the straight and narrow in the amnesty <laughs> program. But like here you got this guy, Captain Bombardier. A plus uh, name. A plus, uh, yeah, Star Wars name. A plus name. It's right up there with Axe Wolves. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but I but he actually is doing doing right. And I thought that was kind of a nice sort of switch on that. Yeah, I look, they're both having a great time. You know, I think Jack Black always knows how to deliver. He knows how to deliver a performance to the rafters. Um, Lizzo is flipping great. Um, I no pun intended, Grogu literally backflips into her hands. Um, this is especially funny because Lizzo actually dressed up as Grogu in 2021 in a very horrifying Halloween costume. If you haven't seen it, go Google it. It'll haunt your nightmares. Um, but like, 
how ridiculous is this? It's like they, she just showed up on set and she was like, I just want to hang out and eat fancy food with Grogu and, you know, play bocce ball. And that's what she got to do. I also love that while like Bo and Din are going on this like crazy investigation and like they go to a droid morgue, which I didn't know yeah. was a thing. That, which is I hilarious. thought that was funny. Like, and also when they were like, like, hold on, let's turn it this way. And I thought they were going to be like in a hands. And I was like, oh God, this is so CSI, right? Now. It's so CSI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that while they're like investigating the seedy underbelly of, you know, this planet and, you know, going chasing after droids, like Grogu's just living his best life. He's hanging out with Lizzo. You know, he's playing games. He's like a member of the royal court now. He gets knighted, like you said, with an actual sword incredible like mm-hmm. no notes it's i i think we're gonna see a lot of like gifs and memes and you know screenshots of this episode going forward because it's kind of absurd um, it, and it really is it. like all from top to bottom just the best names i mean commissioner hellgate yes. i mean it's just like <laughs> it's just so good but like i will say like unless commissioner hellgate was just lying to them because he's a ends up being a pretty nefarious dude like the whole concept of that the planet was too lazy to shut down the droids that are like killing them because they don't want to work. Like, I'm not sure that really holds water, but I do love anything where there's like a control panel with just a giant red button. Yeah. Just a huge red button that's not locked down at all. There's no like safety case or key. It's just like anyone can hit this red button that he says would do one thing, but actually does another. I also I, like I, that it's like literally like an 85 year old against two Mandalorians. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> who do you think going to win in Step this back. one? Yeah. I love that like his little Scooby-Doo villain speech where he's like, secretly I'm a separatist. And yeah. Dooku was right. I'm like, really? This, like, this guy's old. I was flashing back to his uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and also to his Star Trek villain. So it's <laughs> just like, let him go. Like, you know. I've loved Jim from Taxi for years. I <laughs> just let him go. Yeah. So yeah, so, I love so the idea good. that there's like these fringe lunatics who are like mm-hmm. Dooku was right. Yeah, he's he like there's this like little political sect who are who are like yeah, because like guy. like literally at this point, I mean, well, I guess he must have served with Dooku, but it's like Dooku's been dead for a really long time at this point. I, love I also it. don't really understand. Like they basically what they they send him into exile and then he just kind of walks off by himself. Yeah, yeah I was like, like okay, <laughs> you're not gonna trust weird. that guy. <laughs> Like he walks up with two droids who he's found a way to control. It just doesn't seem like that's really the security on Plaza 15. First off, they had that dude in like heading security. Like it just seems a little lax. Yeah, it seems like they're they're more in, more enthused about space bocce ball than, you know, actually they're like they're having a good time. They're on the outer rim. Everything seems to be, you know, they've got a cool monorail system. What else do they, you know, they're not really paying attention to the details. Yeah, you mentioned the monorail. The whole thing gave me very Epcot. Yeah, when I first saw that, I was like, this is really like Spaceship Earth. (laughs) Like, you know. I do love that they had Din sort of having to do this investigation amongst all the droids. And even with IG-11, he's still not a big droid. I mean, that has that line, you had me at battle droids. And he's just like kicking them all, like pretending like he's testing them. But you know, he just wants to kick kick the battle droids over and over. It's so great. It's so ridiculous. And just what a ridiculous episode. This is not what I expected at all, but I'm I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad so, about it at all. Let's get into the other thing. Mm-hmm. First off, let me just say, ladies, I love when I'm right. I love when I'm right. And it doesn't It doesn't happen, happen all often. the time. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> happen often. Like, especially like back on Obi-Wan Kenobi, where I was like wrong on like a, a like a, a weekly basis. Just everything I said was I was like, look, I know Star Wars. I know the way these things work. Here's what's happening next week. I'd be completely wrong. 
Um, but this time I for once was right. Cause I remember saying to you all after episode two, wait, I don't get it. Why does Bo-Katan not have the dark saber? She def- used it to defeat the creature that defeated Din. And I feel like you guys kind of like, ah, eh, that's not really how you get a dark by, saber. By the elder wand rules, she is the rightful owner of it. So, well, you yeah. know, Katie Sackhoff, you can go back and listen to Katie Sackhoff's, um, you know, response. And we, we ask her, you know, is she the rightful owner of the dark saber? And she kind of sidesteps it. She says, you know, at this point, Bo doesn't really want it. You know, mm-hmm. she's given up on everything. You know, she's sort of abandoned, you know, her plans to reclaim Mandalore and, and because she doesn't want to be a leader anymore. Um, but yes, by we, we were all correct. And, and, you know, Dalton, you get credit for this. The fact that she, you know, defeated that guy. Does he even have a name? He's just like a weird yes. cyborg dude. Yeah. I just, call, call I mean, I called him like, what did I call him? Like chitters or something like that. Yes. So I just, yeah. I just named I like him Lauren's chitters. Name yeah. Him. So. So. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of of Grievous a little bit. You yeah, know, sort of the yeah. weird little alien in a big metal metal body. Oh, the only like the the captioning just kept saying he was chittering around. So I'm like, Chitter, is that your name? I'm not, I'm not coming That's up it. with another one. So what do we think about the uh, before we even get to that? What do we think about the? Uh, I mean, you guys know I loved it because it was like jetpacks and lots of wire and fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big fight between uh, where Bo challenges Axe Wolves, uh, and Axe Wolves accepts the challenge, and then and then they go at it, and she she defeats them. What'd you guys make of that? I literally wrote in my notes, jetpack fight. Dalton's going to be psyched. <laughs> yes, um, look, we love a jetpack. And I, we've seen, you know, a lot of this season has, we've seen a lot of Mandalorians in action. We've seen a lot of jetpack fights. We haven't seen Mandalorian versus Mandalorian um, between two very skilled warriors. And this was fun. I really liked it. I'm I'm never mad when I get to see Katie Sackhoff, you know, kicking some ass and, and being a badass. Um, so so I, I dug this, even though it was kind of, funny to have this be like this weird little tag on the end of an episode that was otherwise had nothing to do with with the yeah, larger because i mean it is the most important plot element on the the episode and i'm really just like and they're like well we can't have her go get act you know beat him up first thing so what other nonsense can we just have happen so far so well it's know. what they've been doing right yeah. it's what they what they did with the whole her in the armor or yeah like, when she and when when Din brings him brings her over there, they had that whole sort of, you know, other episode with Pershing, and then they went back to uh, that at the very end. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it looks like we got what two episodes left. Yeah. Now yeah. she's got the dark saber. Now she's seemingly gotten her mercenaries back and united them. So they got the Children of the Watch and these bozos. So I guess the question is, what's what's next, Lauren? I assume Moff Gideon's out there and you don't like, you know, they, they mentioned him. So I assume something's going to happen with Moff Gideon. That's where I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, there's parts of this season that I've enjoyed, but overall I don't feel like it's hanging together super well. Um, but, and I, I still just think it was a bit of a mistake to put uh, the Grogu reunion in book of Boba Fett, but I think everyone agrees with that at this point. Um so I'm just kind of like, it's kind of a little bit of a lumpy season, but I mean, I I, I like the focus on Bo-Katan. I'm finding that stuff interesting. You know, it, it will be interesting to see them rebuilding Mandalore, but it, it is also interesting that like Din and Grogu have really taken sort of a backseat to this entire season. Um, so I kind of really hope that the next two episodes, we get a little bit more with them uh, or, or something. It just, it's felt very Din and uh, Grogu light on this one. So uh, you know, it's like I I haven't hated it, but it just hasn't 
fit together super but well to me. De- Devin, it's a good point because listen, Bo-Katan uh, saved Din. Bo-Katan led the mission to, to save the kid, mm-hmm. right? From the whatever dinosaur flying beast thing. Bo-Katan is kind of like, has this big battle in this episode. It really is her season, mm-hmm. more so than Din or Grogu. It really has been. And I'm I'm kind of in, in Lauren's camp here where I've liked a lot of pieces of this, this season. There's been a lot of things that I really liked, but overall, it feels weirdly kind of not cohesive. And and I, I think the biggest mistake was was putting that that Grogu um Din reunion in Book of Boba Fett. To me, that should have been the emotional core of this season. Um and by contrast, you know, kind of anything under that is 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 going to feel a little just not quite as emotionally satisfying. Um, you know, I really love Bo-Katan, and I'm, I'm glad we're spending so much time with her and, and really getting to see her her evolution and and as she sort of you know steps up to become the eventual ruler of Mandalore. Um, but I I agree, it's for a show called The Mandalorian, it's it's a little odd how much. Um, Din and Grogu have definitely taken a back seat um, in this season. And again, I we could be eating our words and something crazy may happen in the finale that totally turns everything on its heads. Um, but for the most part, yeah, that that to me has been my my biggest complaint this season is, you know, for for a show that has been so much about this core relationship about the two of them, um we haven't gotten that very much this season. Now, I'm really curious to see where a lot of this goes and and sort of see how things come together in the final two episodes, but I guess we'll see. When we when we finally come across Moff Gideon, is he working with or being held prisoner by Mandalorians or neither, Lauren? Well, I think he's being held prisoner, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent on that. But that, I just think because it's like he has such a history with like the destruction, uh, you know. So I mean, I know they are mercenaries. One other thing that I want to say is that I mean, I'm I like Bo, I like Din, but I really need them just like get the other Mandalorian characters. Like I just feel a lot of them are very flat and they're very like martial, and I'm just like I'm like I need to see someone who's like a charming Mandalorian. I know there have been Sabine Wren was very charming. Like I just need to see some of these with a little bit more personality than I just like to kick your ass. Like I just like if we're gonna if we're gonna spend this much time with various Mandalorians, let's kind of get into it and you know get to know some of them more rather than them you know it's just people in the background wearing you know various helmets and things like that that's kind of one of my things to uh my final criticisms so uh devon is gideon being held by mandalorians working with mandalorians or neither i don't know i i'm i'm wondering if my, if I had, if I was a betting woman, I would say that um, you know Imperial sympathizers, Moff Gideon's cronies, hired Mandalorians to break him out, who then delivered him to his Empire cronies. Um, everything that's happening with Elia Kane makes me think that there there's got to be some sort of master plan. You know, I think there there's got to be Moff Gideon has to have the upper hand. He was he was sort of you know so so brutally beaten in in the last season um in the season two finale that i i wouldn't be surprised if he has some crazy plan up his sleeve and orchestrated his own jailbreak that is, that is that's my bet but uh i guess we'll see yeah i think he's working with mandalorian muscle and i think then yeah Bo and her now group of mandalorians are gonna have to either win them over or fight fight through them uh, to get to him. So, but you know, what I listen, bet the opposite, whatever I, whatever <laughs> I predict, bet the opposite. Uh, history has shown us, uh, that that is a safe bet 
All right. Well, you're probably sick of us rambling to each other at this point anyway. So what say we ramble to other people instead? Devin spoke to the Mandalorian's Katie O'Brien, who plays Elia Kane, the uh, Imperial baddie who just fried Dr. Pershing's brain. And I chatted with Katie Sackoff, which, by the way, completes the trifecta of all three of us talking with Katie over the <laughs> past few weeks. Uh, not only that, but we have an exclusive clip from the audiobook version of Lydia Kang's new High Republic novel, Cataclysm. So we have Katie O'Brien, then Katie Sackoff, and then Cataclysm. And it is all coming up right after this quick break. Thank you again for taking time out of your day to chat with me. I'm so excited to get to pick your brain a little bit about The Mandalorian. <laughs> My pleasure. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you. Give me a little bit of background as to, you know, you were in season two as this Imperial comms officer. What was your reaction when you found out that not only were you coming back for season three, but you were taking on this, you know, really cool expanded role? I was surprised. Well, at first, when I got the news that I was coming back, I didn't know that it'd be expanded. I didn't know that it would be, you know, in a totally different uniform. I I had no idea what was going on. Um, And it was like the same time that I booked Ant-Man, I was told that I was pinned on this project. And we wound up like filming at the same time, too. And I was really worried it wasn't going to work out. But um, they made everything happen. So I just like when I found out, I was just like, oh, that's so exciting. And um, I was like get a little confused because I thought I was dead. <laughs> and uh, when I finally got the scripts, um, it was like the first time they actually gave me the sides like well in advance. So I was able to like very, very well in advance, see what my lines were and, and what was going on. And I was just like in complete disbelief that I, I got to have, um, you know, a much bigger role and and also you know, maybe a little sketchy at times. Yeah, that's got to be fun to be like, okay, not only are you, you know, getting to, you know, take on a bigger role in the Star Wars universe, but you're getting to play a little bit of a baddie. Like that's, that's got to be fun. Yeah. And, and what I love about this character too, is I, I still don't know what my motivations are. And and I think that, um, you know, you can make all the leaps and assumptions that you want. And I think that they do that intentionally so that the fans can have, you know, things to guess at, uh, but um yeah she's she's pretty uh um mischievous for sure which i absolutely adore yeah i mean so i mean when you started playing this character you know she was kind of your standard imperial comms officer but here we get to kind of like peel back a little bit of the layers and kind of find out a little bit more about who she is and and how she ticks you know what was fun for you about getting to you know explore this very like manipulative you know like you said a little mischievous character it's funny because I just, it's, she really is just kind of letting people guide what they want to do. You know, when you ask somebody, um, man, do you really think I should go out with this person again? Uh, the last date was kind of icky and you're like, well, I don't know. Um, what do you think? And, the, and they already know the answer. She's kind of that person. She's just really letting people make the decision they already want to make. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I was a psych major psychologically. I think she's fascinating. I think that's like a really interesting um, kind of approach to take with her is just like, she just, she knows how people think. Um, but also, you know, I, I, in my younger days used to be a little bit more of a prankster. So um, I really love the idea of, of getting to to put the little mischievous youth into play here. 
That's got to be fun because she's she's very much like, yeah, like, well, I mean, what do you think? Like, yeah. I don't know. We could go to, to hijack the Star Destroyer. I mean, like, that's a possibility. Yeah. Oh, that's what you need. Well, this is where it is. But if you want to, I'm, I'm here for you, man. Like, it's just I'm just a really supportive character, you know, like uh, just asking people for snacks and then they just ask for my opinion. <laughs> Kind of the best case scenario. Um, and I really love that episode um, that's kind of really centers on her um, and Dr. Pershing, who's uh, played by Omid Abtahi, um, who is so fantastic. Uh, tell me a little bit about working with him on that episode, because a lot of it is just, you know, kind of the two of you just having conversations. Yeah, I it, what I really, really loved about that was... Um, yeah, I, I just saw an article with Hugh Grant where he's talking about people just looking at their phones on set all day. And you know, he is kind of right. I feel like oftentimes you you get in these rooms and you're really excited to meet your co-stars or whoever you're working with. And they are either just kind of into their phones or off doing something else. And it was so not like that with Omid. Um, he was very, you know, interested in getting to know me. I was interested in getting to know him. I feel like we actually got to develop a really good friendship. And then, you know, we got to meet each other's families and uh, the director, Isaac Ch- uh, Chung, his family. So, um, it, it really did feel like at the end of the day, you're kind of like working with, with a new family, an extended family. And, um, and we were able to really play off each other and, um, you know, be, be open in terms of what we needed from each other. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a really, really lovely relationship, uh, off screen. And then, you know, on screen, we, we all got to, to really just feel the, the hurt. We are like, there are moments where we're just trying not to cry because it's just like so brutal, but it was great. So, yeah, I imagine there's, there's some pretty heavy stuff. Like you literally use a mind flayer on him on screen. And so it's, it's a little brutal. Yeah. And I think it's the first time in Star Wars that it's been shown. And I don't know that we for sure know exactly what it does to somebody. So we're, we're all a little nervous. I don't, you know, I'm hoping he's okay <laughs> somewhere <laughs> for sure and i'm always curious you know when i talk to actors like what's it like to step onto some of those sets like what's it like to be like in the middle of coruscant with these like alien creatures and people in prosthetics kind of like walking around like these some of these big crowd scenes yeah i i absolutely love what they do with the um the practical effects makeup the robotics um there there's that creature on the train that is it was like two people inside this robotic giant suit and they were super hot and it was i'm sure very uncomfortable but it was it just adds to it to this otherworldliness where you're seeing the mouth move when these creatures are talking or you're seeing their eyes go all sorts of different directions it really really does make you feel like you're in kind of a strange new world um and then with with Coruscant in particular, you know, we had the the peak of Umate in front of us, so we did see that. Um, but everything else around us was on the volume, so it it was kind of strange because we, you know, you look around, you see all the spectacular buildings and stuff because it is there, um, and it's moving with you, which is really wild. And there are kids running around in the background in it, which is also really wild. So it it does its best in this like essentially blue screen world to bring it and make it real. So it's, it's, yeah, it's insane. 
Yeah, I'm always curious to talk to talk to actors about the the volume specifically because I imagine that's got to be so you know so rewarding and so cool to as opposed to like you said just like the traditional blue screen where it's all in your head. Yeah, it it's it is in a way it's a lot nicer because you can you can you can look at an object and you can both say there it is and um, that's what we're looking at and it's great and you don't really have to visualize it. Whereas uh, with like a blue screen, it's a little bit more like theater where um, you know sometimes you. I, you don't really get the prep time that you might need. Um, it's kind of like get on set and ask maybe a couple questions and then go. Um, but you know, that, that also does allow for, you know, know, some of your own imagination. So if you want something to be even scarier than it might actually be, you can really kind of just put it there, I guess. But yeah, I, I definitely appreciate having the scenery, but at the same time, there are some, some major limitations, you know, like, in our scene where we're doing our walk and talk, it was like you stop halfway through the scene and start over and then finish the scene off because the volume can only be shot in so many different ways and so many, you know, at such a length and uh, at so few angles. So it has its own challenges. That makes total sense. So this is a really important question. Um <laughs> What did those imperial biscuits taste like? I think someone told me the recipes out online now. Um, really? Yeah, I think so. You have to look it up. But from what I recall, because again, this was like two years ago, um, it, it was just like really heavy coconut. I have one in my fridge right now, but I think I'm going to like plastinize it and keep it forever. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's like really, really coconutty. It was really, it was pretty dry. Um, and it was like surprisingly uh, filling. Like I think it could actually be used for a ration. Like uh, it kind of expanded in your mouth and um, in, in a very, very interesting way. So it was a healthy from what I know or what is told a very healthy vegan gluten-free biscuit, which is what the empire is all about. Yeah. Vegan, gluten-free, healthy, all those good things. Mm-hmm. I love that you have one in your fridge right now. And I, th- I think you're right. I think you should save it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I um, have one, I gave one to Omid and, and they're ours forever. So there you go. Um, so I'm curious, and this can be from either this season or last season, um, but is there like a day or a moment on set that really sticks out to you where you like really geeked out? Ooh. I feel like there, there are so many little moments. I, the first the first day that I got to shoot this episode with Omid, I was really, really excited because you know the DP was Dean Cundy, who has shot like every movie known to man. <laughs> and, um, he He's come up with some really, really cool camera techniques and a big like horror slasher fan. So he, he did Halloween, like the original Halloween. So um, getting to chat with him was so exciting. And, you know, John's there pretty much every day to kind of give the rundown of the scene and like, you know, look at what we're doing, what our plan is for it and ask, answer any questions we might have. And it's just like, and I just, I just seen Minari, you know, it was just nominated for like six Oscars or whatever. Like, so it's working with all these people who are just phenomenal at their jobs and are just in like, and then in me, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I get to, I feel like I'm in a masterclass every single day that I get to go to work. And that to me is like, it's like, not only are you in one of the top shows, but you're also getting to learn and become a better actor and, and a performer and also learn a little bit more about like the behind the scenes and what he's looking for in terms of directing and, um, and you know, the, how the costumes are working, how the set's working, how the volume's working. So it's just, I think that that's what's so special about it for me, especially as a, a newer actor is just 
getting to be there and and learn amongst the best in the business. Yeah, I imagine that's got to be so rewarding, especially on a show like this, where it is so many different moving parts. And, you know, it's like world class, like you said, costume department, cinematography, everybody. The costumes too, the season, like, um, you know, when we were uh, in the theater um, with all the rich Coruscant people or whatever, and you just see the elaborate costumes that they wear it was so beautiful and everyone walking around just felt so amazing and it just that's that's what that does when you have the makeup you have the hair you have the costumes it really puts you in the place that you want to be and and they just they kill it shauna's uh pretty pretty unbelievable and yeah I don't want to get too away, but she's got some really cool stuff coming up too. That's so cool. I think I read also that like in maybe in your first appearances, you were wearing a like something from the original trilogy. Yeah. Did I read that right? Yeah, that's what they told me. I I believe them though, because there was like a stain on it and like some like a mark where like another pin had been. So I believe it. Um, but they might have also told me that. So I'd be extra careful. I don't know. <laughs> Just been like, yeah, it's it's vintage. Take really good care of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'd be like, yeah, no, this is definitely, this is like a hundred years old, so don't ruin it or else. Yeah, <laughs> That's so funny. So I'm curious, you know, as you're one of the rare actors to get to work in both the Star Wars universe and the Marvel universe, um, you know, between the two, which one is the more secretive and like paranoid about like spoilers? Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I don't even get pages. If my name isn't on the page, I don't get it. So I know nothing about what's going on if I'm not physically in the scene. And and even then, um, because my name wasn't on the page when I'm walking into the auditorium, I didn't know I was walking into the auditorium. Um, I didn't know that I was giving Omid biscuits, you know, secretly behind the scenes until we were talking about it. Um, so there's so much that they don't tell you. Um, sometimes where I'm like, that might have been good to know. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, there's so many other reasons I um that I'm trying to think of now but yeah they're they're hands down far more secretive oh I believe it it seems like you know that I mean you gotta you gotta protect the secrets you gotta you know keep everything on the on the down low yeah yeah and yeah it's it's so like frustrating too because you're again I was filming them both at the same time and and people are like what are you doing what are you working on and I'm like oh I nothing I guess <laughs> and you want to tell them but uh, you're like, well, you'll see it in two years. So there you go. That's, that's going to be so crazy. And then I also wanted to ask about, you know, in the most recent episode, um, you have that great scene with Tim Meadows, um, who's so fun. Tell me a little bit about what you remember about filming that. Yeah, it was so ridiculous because, uh, first of all, I, I just found out that Paul was going to be uncle Iroh in the last airbender series. So I was really excited to meet him. So I ran into his dressing room, knocked first, obviously, uh, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to meet you. And he was like, I'm so excited to meet you. And I'm like, why? <laughs> so already started the day off, right? Um, and then uh, Peter, the director, that's uh, he did um, Into the Spider-Verse. So that's like my wife's, one of her top five films, hands down. So I was already really, really excited to chat with him and work with him. Um, and then uh, I walk in and John was like, have you met Tim yet? And I was like, who's Tim? And I turn around and it's Tim Meadows. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have not casually just happened to meet the ladies man himself, Tim Meadows. <laughs> so um, he just is like, he was, he's such a wonderful person. 
he was so uh chill like he had all this dialogue we shot that scene by the way over two full days like oh, two wow. full 12 hour days it was a like f- they just really took their time with it um and you know that can be like really frustrating after a while too when you have so much dialogue and so much going on um but he took it like a champ and um he just like he has a way of being able to say things that if he wants, he can make it, you know, casual, dramatic, whatever. And if he wants, he can say the same exact thing and make it really funny. So um, it was kind of cool to kind of just sit back and, and get to listen to them kind of go back and forth. And uh, you know, one person is like Paul's character is coming in. He's all, this is so important, blah, 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 whatever. And Tim's like ah, kind of overwhelmed, you know, <laughs> like really, <laughs> is it though? What's Navarro? Is that even a planet? So it was, uh, it was just really, really fun to watch them uh, go at it, and then to come in and stir the pot a little bit more was, was great. And then we capped every scene. Um, he always capped with something that was like really funny, and you know they wound up using just like my stare off as the at the end. But you know, at one time he was like, "I will actually take a soup," and I'm like, "Oh, okay. you know." And <laughs> another time he's like join the force. My mom said, do this. My mom said, and I'm like, well, it must've been nice to know your parents, you know, that kind of thing. So, (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. It's just fun. (laughs) That's so cool. That's, that's going to be so much fun. And yeah, I mean, what's, what have the last couple of weeks been like now that, like you said, you shot this thing two years ago. Now you can finally, it's finally out in the world and you can talk about it. Yeah. I mean, um, I still, (laughs) it's like, I still don't know what, what my character's up to, you know, (laughs) like, I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, it's been fun to watch. It's been fun to to piece things together finally. And it's fun to see people watching and enjoying. And and obviously, you know, you have your your people who are just unbelievably negative and gross and and whatever. And then it, you know, to me is outweighed by the people that are just really excited and and enjoy the show and, and are just just there for the rides. So um yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Cause you know, I did think I was like, okay, I'm in a Marvel movie. Like that's going to help, um, my career. And that's going to like boost my career or whatever. Um, but I, so this show is actually, I think done a little bit more. It's kind of wild. <laughs> well, I know, I know I, for one, cannot wait to see the rest of what you were up to. Um, even if you don't know, <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. But thank you again for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, you know, I, I was curious uh, how's the way you've thought about this character of Bo Katan shifted since you were, you know, just providing the voice on the Clone Wars and Rebels to then portraying her as a full live action character? Just tell me about sort of your evolution with the character. For sure. You know, I think it's a little different. You know, when you're the voice of something, you definitely add to it and you have an opinion at work. But I think for myself, I really, really relied heavily on Dave Filoni at work um, who would tell me if I was doing the right thing because I didn't get to see the animation before I did the voice. So we would try different things. He would tell me the way he wanted it to sound. He would sort of say what was going to happen and things like that. When I went over into live action, the realization 
uh, dawned on, I mean, it didn't dawn on me, but it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that like, I, I have to have ownership over this character now. Like I have to stand up for what I think she would do and what she wouldn't do and things like that. And, and, um, a bit more than I would have when I played the voice because it, it wasn't about me then. It was about what Dave wanted. And it still is about what Dave and John want. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I do have much more input now. Is she different at all? I mean, is the live action Bo-Katan different at all than the one we saw on the on the other shows? You know, I, I don't. Uh, she can't help but be a little bit different because now we actually see like like me in her more so than than when I was voicing her. Um, so she can't help but be a little bit more like me. Um, and um, you know, I, I did everything in my power to get rid of that. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, but this season, we see a we see a lot more of her backstory come into play, um, which was fu- so fun for me because I feel so connected to that story because it's been you know uh, all I've known of her for so long. Um, mm-hmm. So to see some of that uh, come out has been really fun. Tell me about your 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 just your favorite day on set that you've had on The Mandalorian from either season. Just one day, they're just like, everything was just so cool. And you're like, oh my God, I'm sitting here with like a jetpack on my back on the Star Wars show. This is crazy. There's been a lot of those days. I'm not going to lie. But I think like the the best day, from the very beginning of se- shooting the season, I said to John Favreau that I wanted to bring my daughter to work and do a photo shoot with her and Grogu in the pram. And I didn't actually think they'd let me. I was kind of joking. Um and then they ultimately let me do it. So my husband brought my daughter to work in her little Princess Leia jumpsuit. And um, the entire puppeteer team actually pulled the pram out of storage, the old one. And they came and they were actually controlling Grogu in this like, professional photo shoot with my like four-month-old daughter. And I was like, w- and I was like dressed as Bo-Katan. And I was like, what? is happening in this world that that is that this is my world um and i'm hoping at some point they'll let me do something with that because like it's a funny christmas card it's a super funny christmas card um but that was truly like a a really really special day because it um you know it is a family over there and and um um you know i went through a lot of changes during this season so Mm -hmm. it's just been awesome well, as a parent, I'm very jealous. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You should be. I was jealous of my child. Like, it was like such a cool moment. It's still, I'm still pinching myself that we have pictures of her with Grogu in the pram. It was so funny. So funny because she was not happy. She was crying in every photo. Uh, so let's talk about, about season three. Bo, you know, Bo-Katan wants to rule Mandalore, but the Mandalorian has the dark savers. So how's that going to work itself out? I mean, that's a conflict. That's a that's a bit of a problem, right? <laughs> um, you know, I I think that the big question that people should be asking themselves is what's different. You know, we saw Bo-Katan accept the dark saber before as a gift. Um, and and she's not now. So something's changed. Something's different. She's changed. Um, and and how did she lose it? You know, I think that that's one of the things that like as a viewer, when I was watching Mandalorian and I saw that Darksaber for the first time, I was like, wait a second. Wait, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, text message to Dave Filoni. Um, And so I think that that is a really, really interesting place to start. And that is where we start. Uh, you've played big roles for two very passionate fan bases. Uh, what are the differences between Star Wars fans and Battlestar Galactica fans? 
Um, I think sci-fi fans in general are incredibly supportive. Um, I always say that they'll follow you anywhere. I mean, they've watched movies I feel like I should give them their money back for. Um, and they, you know, <laughs> pretend like they love them and they're so proud of me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that that Star Wars fans are passionate, like more so than any um, universe that I've been in. Um, and it, it it's... You know, it's you take the good and the bad <laughs> for sure. <laughs> who who wins in a Bo-Katan versus Starbucks matchup? Oh, my God. Well, I, I mean, um, I would have to say Bo-Katan because she has a jetpack. So I think that like, you know, but they're both like pretty match. Like they both have two guns. So, you know, um, if she gets that Darksaber back, that's, you know, I, I Starbuck doesn't stand a chance. It's game over. Yeah, game over for sure. <laughs> So I saw Pedro said recently that Return of the Jedi was his favorite Star Wars movie, and he was a big fan of the Ewoks. Uh, what about you? What's your go-to Star Wars film? Katie? I mean, I definitely remember Return of the Jedi for the Ewoks when I was a little kid. I mean, I used to think they were like little teddy bears, and my father could not convince me otherwise. Um, but I, I, you know, I love Empire Strikes Back. I've always loved it. I, I think it's one of the best Star Wars movies ever. Um and so I think I'd hang my hat on that. Right answer. I like that. Right answer. <laughs> Good. He's wrong. You're right. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, any new skills or any stunts that you uh, are particularly proud of this season and season three that you got to do? I mean, I usually will will do everything that they allow me to do. Um, and the older I get, though, the, the pickier I am about which stunts I do because I do not bounce back as quickly as I used to. Um, but I do. I have a wicked knee slide. You know, I've been I've been practicing this knee slide since I was a little kid and throw a little wax down on the stage and I just fly. So, I mean, I don't think like the 50th take was as good as the first one. But, you know, I gave it my all. <laughs> Uh, last one for you. There, there are all these great guest stars and cameos on The Mandalorian. Uh, if you could cast anyone, whom would you like to see cameo on the show? Oh, my gosh. I think if I told you who, it it's a spoiler. So um, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Do your friends bug you to get like cameos, even like just under a helmet or something? Or they always <laughs> bother you? Because I'd be bothering you. I mean, I've definitely gotten some phone calls from some friends, but um, I, I don't think they know they know that that is so far above my pay grade. But then again, I did manage to pull off a photo shoot with my child. So you never know. <laughs> Maybe I have more power than I think I do. Any cryptic tease you can leave us with for season three and Bo-Katan on The Mandalorian? Oh, my gosh. You know, there's just there's so many Mandos this season. I would just be, you know, just get ready. Ada Forte sat in the main cabin of the Lazuli, gently rubbing the green scales over her hands, as if checking they were still there. The planet had dense white clouds over half of the brown and greenish masses of land. Dalna's two sons were in the far left of her viewport, golden and mellow. But despite the beauty, she felt unsettled, like she was being watched. She felt a tap on her shoulder. She knew it was Master Sun. It's me. I send a message to Master Yoda that we've arrived in the system. Good. She turned to him. Why did you say it's me? 
I had a weird feeling, like you needed to know I was nearby. You feel it too? Ada said. Like we're being watched? Yes. Ada didn't think it was Lou Sweet, one half of their Republic security detail. He grimaced most of the time while staring forward, as if waiting for the enemy to materialize out of thin air so he could start knocking heads. It must bother him that he appeared more like he'd been sucking on sour, unripe fruit with a name like that. His partner, Priv Itik, was just as silent, though the Iktachi tried to be less than three meters away from Ada at all times. In fact, there she was, standing near the door to the cockpit, like Ada's enormous shadow, her large horns pointing downward and hands folded in front of her. Seems I'm never alone, actually, Ada said, eyeballing her so-called bodyguard. But you're right. It's not them that I'm feeling. It's something different. It's probably me, a voice calmed in. Creighton and Ada startled for a second. Ada touched the console. Who is this? It's Master Yaddle. There was a pause and a tiny grunt that resembled the sound of air squeaking out of a small bag or a small person. And a youngling, Sipatarko. I'm orbiting Dalna with you right now. What are you doing here? Ada asked. I heard about what happened on Jeddah and then spoke to Master Yoda and Chancellor Greylark. Our communication was a little glitchy, but my understanding was that I was needed on Dalna to gather information about the path. Creighton shook his head. Glitch or no, Master Yaddle, we welcome having another Jedi with us. I had thought that only Ada Forte and I were authorized to come here. He glanced up, seeing Priv lift a single heavy eyebrow ridge. Uh, along with two of the Chancellor's guards. Well, I'm here now, Master Yattle said. I felt fairly strongly that I need to come to Dalna, not to Jeddah or to Coruscant. This is convenient, however. One of the guards can watch Sippa. Let's meet outside of the path's compound. It's close to the town of Ferdin. If you have a plan about what you'd like to do, I'll listen, Master Son. The communication ended. Creighton spun in his chair. It looks like there'll be three of us. Five of us, you men, Priv added. Four, Ada corrected. One of you will be watching a Jedi youngling. Priv snarled her voice so low and rumbling that Ada could almost feel the reverberations. I am an elite Republic security guard with 50 years of experience. She balled both thick, muscular hands into fists. I am no babysitting droid. Younglings are not exactly babies. It's necessary for the mission, Priv. You or Lou Sweet. I'll let the two of you decide. 
Creighton said. Priv turned around and went into the back of the ship. A low argument could be heard as Ada began to steer the ship down to Dalna. After they penetrated the atmosphere, they descended below the fluffy clouds to find it raining gently. To the northwest were snowy volcanoes, and below them, some flat plains cultivated in geometric grids of farmland. Trees of red and purple dotted the landscape in clusters. Ferdin could be seen, a concrete and metallic blight on the green land, but small, with one landing pad. There was an occasional small or medium-sized ship coming in and out of Ferdin, which was good. Their own ship wouldn't stand out around here. A few spired buildings were at its center, with square and rectangular ones that spread out to a less populated sprawl around the town. About four kilometers away, connecting with thin, weaving dirt roads, there appeared a small village surrounded by a wooden wall. There were some plain buildings that appeared to be simple living structures, a barn and other buildings, perhaps for farm animals or meetings. No ships were flying in or out, but a set of raised landing pads of clay and stone could be seen on the western edge of a vast field. They looked newly built, with freshly cut wood walkways connecting them. A set of rolling hills to the south were bare of buildings, and haystacks dotted the area. Is that the path compound? Ada asked. It must be, Creighton said. Too big for one farmer, too small to be a town. We'd better not fly in over the compound. We'll land a kilometer away and keep low. Sounds good. She peered closer to the viewport. Odd. Look at the fields. Judging by the season, you'd think they'd be getting close to harvest. But they look kind of messy. Maybe they're fallow? Not so many all at once. Looks like the path has been too busy to farm, or too wealthy to need to grow their own food, Creighton surmised. Or, Ada said, maybe they're suffering from a blight and don't have the people to farm. It might be a sign of trouble. That they're in trouble, or are trouble, Creighton frowned. After what happened on Jeddah, you know my guess, Ada. They landed the lazuli far enough away from the compound that it would not draw any attention. They exited with Priv and Lou sulking behind them. The babysitting conversation must not have gone well. About a kilometer ahead, past a grassy expanse strewn with lompop wildflowers and nostra bushes thick with pink berries, lay the path compound. The tops of a few brown buildings were visible. Yaddle's voice came from the handheld comlink that Creighton carried. We are flying in low and headed your way. Minutes later, Yaddle could be seen exiting from a grove of trees, wearing the brown Jedi garments for missions. Her hair was braided in tidy plaits over her shoulders. Her pointed green ears bobbed slightly with every footfall, and her large green eyes scanned the scenery. 
there were shallow lines along her nose and forehead. Her skin was slightly brighter green than Master Yoda's. Ada knew that Master Yaddle was around 200 years old. Master Yoda was the only other of her species Ada knew existed. And he was older, perhaps by a few hundred years. A small child walked at her side, slightly taller than Yaddle, but very slight and limber-appearing. She wore similar brown pants and a belted shirt with boots, and her stark white hair was in braids, like Yaddle's. Under the light rain and gray skies, Creighton and Ada bowed. The guards, too, nodded quickly in respect. Master Yaddle, it is good that you could join us, Ada said. This is Priv Itik and Lou Sweet, our Republic support. The two guards were still sulking. But on second thought, Ada realized that these may have simply been their neutral expressions. Master Yattle nodded a welcome. This is Sipatarko, the youngling I am mentoring. We were on our way to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Here, Sippa simply stared at all the new strangers, unblinking. She didn't seem particularly frightened or bothered, as if meeting an enormous Iktachi soldier or Jedi was utterly normal. I apologize for the confusion. When I couldn't hear the entire transmission, I took what I heard and then allowed the Force to guide me. I am needed here. Hopefully we shall accomplish more with the three of us. We could have saved you from the trouble, Creighton said, gesturing to Sippa. You have a youngling in tow. Surely she needs to be brought to a temple to begin her training. My training has been ongoing for many years, Sippa said in her small voice. And I agree with Master Yaddle. You need her help. Ada smiled. Sippa was probably right even if it was forward-speaking from a youngling. Master Yaddle turned to Sippa. Just as your help will be needed, little one, in time and with training. She turned to the enormous guards nearby. Priv Itik and Lu Sweet, thank you for watching over Sippa during our mission. Both of us? Lu almost spat. Surely only one of us is needed. Surely you have never watched over an Arcanian child, much less one so in tune with the Force. I assure you, this task demands abilities of both your calibers. Keep a close eye on your weapons. Keep all four eyes on her. And do not put down your guard for one moment. Ada watched Priv look down at Sippa, who stared back with her wide eyes. Ada noticed a shadow of fear briefly cross Priv's features. Surely, Ada thought, child care wasn't that terrifying. Come, child, Lou said, pointing to the ship, partially hidden beyond the edge of the forest. He followed Sippa, and Priv came up behind. Priv actually turned around a few times to glance back at the Jedi with an expression that looked unabashedly panicked. 
I don't think this is what they signed up for, Creighton said. We'd better hurry, Master Yaddle said, leaning into a jog. The wet green grasses were almost as tall as she was. We haven't got much time. Why the rush? Ada asked, breaking into a sprint to catch up. Though her legs were short, Master Yaddle was quite fast. She began taking longer leaps to quicken the pace as Ada and Creighton ran. Because, leap, Sipper will wear them down, leap. So, before long, leap, we shall have a youngling with us, leap, for the rest of this mission. Thanks to Katie O'Brien and Katie Sackoff for being with us this week. And thank you for being with us as well. If you have just 30 seconds, please follow and rate and review the podcast. We really would appreciate that. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Lore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>